welcome to the second episode of this series, Living Laudato Sea. I'm Michaela Howard-Jones. In our last episode, Wonder and Awe, we heard from Carol Jurell about how engagement is only a stepping stone on the path to deeper understanding. If you haven't heard that episode, I would highly recommend it. But today, we're going to take a look at that next step, integral ecology. To start us off, here is Father James McAvoy to share some of the theological history of integral ecology. Integral ecology is... uh is a very simple idea, but clearly a very profound one then. And, and the point is simply, as Alice was saying, that, that everything is interconnected. And, uh, and you can see that in two fundamental ways. Uh, the Firstly, just, uh, just the very reality of our world and natural world. Uh, you know, I mean, I think everyone knows the world came into being we understand created in the love of God, but through a big bang, you know? And the reality is that what came to be in that big bang has makes up the very atoms of our body. The carbon elements that were created in that very reality are in your body and mine today and in the world around us. It's who we are. So, you know, we're well, we're connected with the whole of history and the rest of the natural world around us and that whole process cycles in in the way that we understand that it does you know. uh, but secondly then uh, if if we are created in the love of God and if all things are created that way then um, then we are connected in that way as we understand our faith as well and uh, Pope Francis puts that incredibly beautifully in talking about the relational nature of the trinity that what is god but well the the very language is difficult here we think about persons but well yes persons but not you know three blokes or two blokes and a girl but three a real a relationship of father son and spirit uh living in love so um he talks about that and 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 then says that creatures tend toward god and in turn, it's proper to every living being to tend toward other things so that throughout the universe we can find any number of constant and secretly interwoven relationships. This leads us not only to marvel at the manifold connections existing among creatures, but to discover a key to our fulfillment, that we grow more the more we're in relationship. So when Pope Francis talks about integral ecology, he's talking about, it. well, clearly he's talking about God and us and the natural world, but he's talking about the social world as well. He's talking about the environmental, economic and social levels of our existence. He's talking about the different cultures in relationship with one another. He's talking about ecology uh, in our daily lives, in the very practices that we go about. I noticed down the corridor from me at work now there's a new set of bins. Mm-hmm. into uh, So uh, another little practice. Uh, and he talks, about, he talks about the practice of the common good, of thinking about our society not primarily in terms of what I can get from it, my individual aims, uh, but rather in terms of the common good, in terms of the social basis that enables each of us to flourish. So to think firstly about, about 
the basis that will enable us to flourish and what we need for that and then for each individual to grow out of that of course you know we all have individual aims and and are all different and need to flourish in different ways but unless we have a society that values a pattern of life that enables that to happen that's impossible you know if it's dog eat dog well it's dog eat dog you know mm. uh, so creative the, the common good has been a deep theme of catholic thinking uh, for thousands of years but mm. um, especially in the last few hundred at saint michael's i sat down with isaac one of the fsc leaders which stands for faith service and community and his job is to lead initiatives with his team and raise awareness about the environment and the impact that it has on people living in poverty. But first, we're going to hear from Zara, Christian, Sebastian and Hugo to talk about something they've been working on in RE, Earth Promises. First question, it's a biggie. Are you ready? What's an Earth Promise? An Earth Promise is when we say something about the Earth and then we keep that promise. Ah. do? Um, it keeps us safe and the and the earth safe. Keeps us safe and it keeps the earth safe. Okay, so when we make this promise to the earth, what kind of things are we promising? To not put rubbish in the um, sea. To not put rubbish in the sea. Why would that be bad, Zara? Because the animals can eat it and then they can die. They can become sick also. Because turtles eat like a type of something that looks like plastic and they might think that it's their food but, and, but then they might be mistaken by a plastic bag. Do you remember when we went on our excursion to the Botanic Gardens? Yes. Do you remember we saw that seagull? Yeah. And we saw the seagull nest. Do you remember what we saw? Some, some rubbish in his stomach. Mm. Yeah. And how did the rubbish get in there? He, he, he ate the rubbish because we... We all, we threw it in the ground, it flew by the wind and the seagull ate the rubbish and it died. Oh, that's sad, isn't it? So that, that's one of our Earth Promises then, that we have to make sure we're cleaning up all of our rubbish. Do we have any other big Earth Promises? Yeah. What else do we have, Zara? You can turn off the lights. Um, otherwise, if you leave the lights on, you're wasting electricity and then next time when you want to use the lights, there will not be any electricity left. And why is electricity bad? Is it bad? Is it sometimes good or sometimes bad? It's, it's both, but it, you, electricity is one of, the most, it's one of the most useful things, it is. but it's also very bad for our environment. So we have to make sure we're using it right. So when might we turn the lights off? Do we turn the lights off right now and we sit in the dark at school? No. 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 We okay. turn it off when we're finished with the light. Ah, when okay. we're not using them. Okay. And when you go out of the classroom. Mm-hmm. And do you do this just at school? Yeah. No. No. We do it at home, at your grandma's house, everywhere. anything that you learned from going to church with your grandpa or maybe even in RE here at school in religion class that might um, help you in your job in FSC? If we were to keep learning about God and how we should help things like how we've already learned 
things over the years about like being a good Samaritan, helping out to the people in need. And what do you what do you think that God wants us to learn about why that's really important? He probably wants us to learn that everybody should have an equal an equal right, the same life, the same sort of living style. And do you think that applies just to people or do you think it could apply to other things in our community, like maybe the chickens you have here at school or the yeah. the plants that you grow? Do you think it applies there? Yes. yes. How do you think so? Well, they deserve a good life. If the earth is health, healthy, we're healthy. In our last episode, we heard some of that real-life wonder and awe from the aquaponics farm at Holy Family. And today, we're going to hear from Jay Winters, Assistant Principal Inclusion, to talk about how the project has built a shared sense of ownership and interconnectedness in the school community. But first, to share a little more about this project's conception and goals, James Meston sat back down with Jerry McCarthy. I believe that uh, you create a farm, you create a harvest. So if you're having a fish farm, then fish needed to be harvested. Mm -hmm. So we commenced our program with a lot of rainbow trout, silver perch um, and barramundi. And um, Kerry had a a flavour, I shouldn't say flavour, he had a thing about having barramundi coming from uh, a place in Darwin where he saw a barramundi farm and wanted to uh, replicate it here. So uh, we started with fingerlings of those three species. Um, we discovered very quickly that the trout grew very quickly and they weren't a summer species, so they had to be harvested. So we were harvesting trout. Um, however, the barramundi and the silver perch became like pet mode and grew bigger and bigger, so we're accommodating larger fish and larger fish. And we got to the stage. Um, from small beginnings to quite large uh, operations, we got to the stage where uh, particularly the silver perch, the native species that we had, um, rather than harvest them, because Kerry converted me, rather than harvest them, we decided to try and release them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we discovered very quickly that releasing um, fish back into an ecosystem where they perhaps didn't come from initially, even though they might have been in that area, but the specific fish we had didn't come from that area. You couldn't easily do that without regulations from Persa and all those sorts of things. So, but that did put us on a trail with working with some uh, aquatic scientists and they came out and visited and we sort of swung the ship around from looking at fish farming to ecologically saving endangered species, which we're full on into now. Mm. And how did you feel about the idea of of doing that? Because I guess you're coming from a different point of view in terms of that, in terms of fish farming through to, I guess, kind of like saving uh, endangered fish species. That's a very different thing like how has your journey been going from one thing to the next well uh, complete because uh, when we started we got this um, okay so what happened was the then minister for environment and water came out to have a look at the site he saw what we were doing and he said you need to get in contact with this uh, lady called Sylvia and she's an aquatic scientist and she could help you possibly with your dilemma about releasing native fish. So I got in contact with Sylvia Zakowski who works with Aquasave, she's an aquatic scientist. She came out and saw the potential that we had here for, um, for housing and breeding in that critically endangered native fish. I hadn't thought much about that previous to meeting her 
because uh, I was all about catching fish. I started a program called Teach Fish SA, where I went into schools and taught kids how to catch fish. Um, so this was a new direction for me, but I got swept up in it and um, worked with her, went out to wetlands. She told me, she showed me how to catch these fish, take them, breed with them, um, and uh, yeah, transform my thinking in certain ways. I still love fishing and harvesting fish, but going in a new direction, particularly with fish that were thought to be extinct and, and now doing something quite dramatic with them. Well, I think, um, and one, one great thing that Jerry and our teachers do here is that everyone's involved, um, so it doesn't matter, um, you know, what, what age, age level. Jerry's often um, driving and carrier driving people to get over there, to get out of their classrooms and, and to get involved. And I think um, to, the only way you can get, uh, build that ownership, as, you, as you're talking about, is, is by having that engagement and having that involvement um, one of the things as a school we've done this year that's different to previous is Jerry's got a, a class, so he's got all the five sixes, um, Jerry being a teacher as well. Um, so that sort of helps helps drive the get, getting the people through the door. Um, but I know um, separate to the fish farm at the moment with all the garden beds, he's got receptions. There was a reception teacher this morning um, that I just happened to be around as Jerry walked past and said, oh, look, we're going to get out there and start working on our garden bed that they've only been built in the last week. Um, so it's, it's sort of that buy-in. Yeah, or add it to. Next, we're going to hear from Kelly Davies at St. Raphael's School about where her reception students have seen God in creation. I really wanted to hear a little bit more around the inquiry question. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned how can we find God's love in creation? Mm -hmm. Has there been a moment through this term in this learning where you've actually had one of the students say to you or articulate God's love? Yeah, I, I think um, I think they're all able to do that really well. So um, I did an assessment task last week and I put it on Seesaw and I had a whole heap of different nature photos. My plan was actually that they would go out and take a photo themselves. Um, unfortunately, we've lost a lot of our nature space in, in the yard at the moment. So I chose some photos and they then chose out of those ones which one they connected with. Um, and then part of the learning, they actually talked about how is God's love revealed in this image of nature. And the kids were really good at being able to articulate that God is present in there. And we also talked about how are you connected to this image. And so most of the kids were able to articulate the fact that God created them. God created this image in nature. And so we are all connected through creation. Um, so they were really able to make that link um, and, that, and that, that they also have a responsibility as stewards of creation to care for God's creation um, and show love for creation. So God, God is giving us love in creation but we also have a responsibility to share that love with God and with each other and care for creation. Also from St. Raphael's are Year 5 and 6 teachers David Monty and Anthony Sicari to share how they have moulded integral ecology with Aboriginal Dreamtime stories inside the classroom and the ripple effect it has had on their entire school community this year. Take a listen. This term, Term 3, which we're at the end of, um, we had a big uh, nature focus and uh, that was woven in with a religious education mm-hmm. and Indigenous education. So... So basically, <clears throat> um, we explored 
Aboriginal dreaming and the spiritual component of Aboriginal dreaming. And we explored how, through their dreaming, uh, the Indigenous culture, looking after the environment, caring for the environment, is second nature. Okay. Then, uh, and we, we probably explored that in depth by using the, uh, the rainbow serpent dreaming story. Mm. So, in, in short, in short, um, if you looked after the environment, uh, the rainbow serpent would reward you and would give you human form. But if you didn't look after the environment, uh, the rainbow serpent would turn you into stone. Okay. We also explored how that looks after the vulnerable in the indigenous community. For example, the sick and frail in that it always ensured that there was um, a, a rich environment for everyone to enjoy. So then we took that and mirrored that to our Catholic faith, uh, but we had to draw in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which we receive. And we explored how uh, we can use those gifts. For example, the gift of counsel, uh, which talks about uh, being responsible and making responsible choices. And so how we are challenged as Catholics who have received these gifts to make responsible choices which mirror the Aboriginal dreaming culture. So then the students went further and they uh, published movies which the first part of the movie touched on uh, the Aboriginal dreaming and its care for the environment. The second part of the movie touched on how our Catholic faith mirrors that. So, And they came up with um, real practical examples such as uh, when they brush their teeth to turn the water off to save uh, water and save their parents' money. Um, when it's uh, cold, your first reaction shouldn't be to put the air conditioner on, put a jumper on. Uh, then they, then uh, we had a, a component in English where we did um, explanation writing. Uh, we wrote explanations, and we did. Uh, we wrote quite detailed explanations. Uh, one of them was um, comparing uh, mainstream fishing with traditional indigenous fishing. So they compared traditional fishing, indigenous fishing, with drift net fishing, and how that impacted on the environment. And obviously, drift drift net fishing depletes fish stocks, okay, which tends to raise their prices, which affects the vulnerable in the community, the poor, for example. However, the Aboriginal uh, traditional Aboriginal people always have a mindset of the environment and the vulnerable. We looked at their traditional fishing methods, uh, which never depleted fish stocks. So there was always fish for uh, the vulnerable, the elderly the sick who couldn't, uh, who couldn't catch the fish on their own. So we explore that and children wrote uh, ex- explanations on that. I love that. I mean, I knew coming in today we were going to be having these conversations around nature and um, Catholic faith and spirituality, but um, I'm really just so delightfully surprised to hear that through everything it seems like you've done this term, there is this third connection, which is traditional Aboriginal culture as well. And you talk a little bit about in those um, explanations that they're writing, they have to make those connections between nature and Catholic faith and traditional Aboriginal Indigenous faith. I mean, to you as the teacher in the classroom, 
What do you think that core intersect between those three things? Like if there was like a takeaway message where those three things just like perfectly collided in your mind, what do you think that is? Look, um, <clears throat> the key point in all of this, in, in my opinion, and which, what I tried to convey to the students is one of acknowledging who the traditional and first custodians of our, of our beautiful country is. I mean, we always, uh, and rightly so, at the beginning of assemblies or special occasions, we always pay respect to, to, to the traditional owners of the land. So um, to give them a richer actual understanding of that, uh, we needed to understand their spirituality, their culture. And what came through, what came through is the connection and respect they have for the environment. So that's probably one key takeaway. They've got context insofar as Aboriginal people, since, since their existence thousands of years ago, have always cared for the environment. That connects to the very real challenge because students nowadays are aware, they, they've... Uh, they've been exposed since birth that they need to care for the environment, okay? Uh, that, that's a given. A lot of them still aren't sure how they, act, how they can actually do that, okay? So um, that, that was a key takeaway in so far as that it's part of our, it's part of our faith, it's part of what the uh, Pope is calling us to do, okay? It's very, it's very much coming through... Crossways and the new RE performance standards, the care and respect for the environment. Uh, it's asking us to connect with what other faiths are doing. So in this unit, we connected to Aboriginal spirituality and could see the consistency, could see the respect that we can give them because they've been doing it for thousands and thousands of years. We too, as Catholics, need to be doing it because we've received the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's a very real thing and the challenge in 2023 for the students, the key takeaway is to use those gifts to care for the environment. And I can imagine as well with these, um, like the, especially in these leadership positions, but also just any of the year sixes who are really getting excited and engaged around, you know, this idea of designing a new nature play or getting out there and making positive change, you know, like active, serious change we can see in front of us, like that data that you were talking about. I mean, is there it been any moments this term so far where you've just seen in front of you like that that passion start to stir up and they just get all really excited about it? Like have you have you actually seen any moment like that come to mind? Oh look with the year sixes, they're, they're excited about lots of things. And when, <laughs> and when they see that, they're actually leading the way by example. And, it, mm. and it's not just in this regard, but, uh, you know, we've been doing a lot of kindy visits and they notice the difference they're making in the lives of the kindy students when they're, uh, when they're walking into our school and we went and visited them the other week. And just to see the, you know, their energy that they bring into whatever lead role they put on is fantastic. Mm. But um, certainly going to this space, we've really seen a big up kick in um, different classes taking on that responsibility now as well mm -hmm. um, the year twos especially 
they've started to go out and pretty much do what we've done for the you know last few months on their own backs and let's start picking up rubbish and let's then go give the data to the year sixes and mm. when they start getting the data from the other classes they're like oh wow like this is fantastic like we've now inspired them to make this change as well and go do their own data collection which has been really interesting for them to see yeah yeah I love I love talking about that like interconnectedness um in like school community because I suppose I mean some of the other things we've been talking about as well as that interconnectedness between um like God's creation and and what we're called to in our Catholic faith to take care of the environment and something that um David Monty was talking before about like um is also inspired by Aboriginal faith in terms of connectedness and taking care of but I, I can almost imagine that there must be this like really amazing parallel between the connectedness that um, we as part of God's creation, as people and as a part of nature must mirror a lot of that connectedness in school community as well. Like what you're talking about, like, is that something that you feel you can you can see actually happening? Oh, absolutely. The interconnectedness is really interesting to, you know, see in different schools. You know, we're only a very small school. And so to see the interconnectedness across all different year levels um, is fascinating. And whether it's through, you know, working together on a common goal or whether that's just through our social, you know, responsibilities of looking after each other, it's such an interconnected way. And I find other schools that I've been in, especially the larger schools, sometimes don't have that natural interconnectedness amongst them, you know, very uh, unit focused. Mm. Um, Whereas in a small school, it's, you know, many hands make light work. And so if we all work on this common goal together and work hard, it's, um, you know, makes life a lot easier for everybody and protects our communities and keeps our areas clean and looks after God's creation and our world in general. So, yeah. joining us on the second episode of Living Laudato C. Our next episode is going to take a look at how these primary teachers have brought nature to life inside and outside the classroom, nature play and playing in mystery. If you haven't heard our previous episode on wonder and awe, you can check that out wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast was produced by RHD Radio on Podcasting on behalf of Catholic Education South Australia. My name's Michaela Howard-Jones. See you again on the next episode. Mm-hmm.